Uh, my name is Lauren Welch. I'm the um, foster care ministry, foster adoptive care ministry lead here at Pillar Dumfries um, called Project 127. Um, really quickly, um, my husband and I are members of Pillar. He's not here today because he's probably about 35, well, 30, 25 miles into his 50K at the Marine Corps Marathon this morning. So <laughs> maybe some prayers just that he comes home safely today. Um, and I've got three children, one on stage, Kristen, um, Colton, who got baptized last week, and Matt in the back, uh, all came into our home through foster care. So uh, I think being there and doing it allows for understanding of what being there and doing it for our church means. Oh, sorry, Colby, I have a stopwatch. I'm going to start it. Sorry. Uh, I brought my... Um, and so just our, our ministry serves in a few different ways. Um, and like I said, today you'll hear about ways that you can participate in that. Um, we have a foster care closet. Um, it has preemie to maternity clothes in it. It's got toys, diapers, wipes, um, formula. We've got a deep freezer in there for freezer meals. Um, so it's a way for us to, uh, social workers will call or foster parents will call. They come and shop and they can take as many, whatever they need. There's no like limit, like, oh, you've got too much, right? The goal is to support them in taking on new placements. Um, we do something called Parents Night Out where we let um, foster moms drop off or foster families drop off their kiddos. We watch them. They're all child, you know, background checked. Um, we watch them. We give the parents a gift card to go out to dinner. Um, and we just take care of their kiddos, which is a really great kind of respite opportunity. Uh, and then more importantly, are all they're all important, but also we um, believe in relationship with foster families. We have two in our church that we support. Um, through their needs, whether it's childcare, meals, um, whatever support they could use, as well as we have one in the community, as well as a social worker at Prince William County that we support. So many, many ways um, to get involved. <coughs> okay, so there are people on the stage who are awkwardly standing here, like, <laughs> Lauren, get to it, because we're going to start doing a dance or something on stage. But um, these are all sweet, sweet friends of mine who are all part of foster care in one way or another, or adoption. Uh, and we wanted to give them the time just to speak on their experience, um, their experience. So I'm going to start with Marshanika, who's got the mic. Um, and I just want to ask you, and this is a very large question, so why did you decide to foster or adopt? Good morning, everyone. Um, <clears throat> going to answer your question, um, adoption was something I knew I wanted to do since I was a teen. Even if I had kids of my own, it was just placed on my heart. Once I got older and more stable, I looked into looked into adoption, but the cost was ridiculous to me. <laughs> um, and I told God I don't have, you know, the kind of money to do what it is that you wanted me to do, you know, going through a private agency. Um, a family member, friend that didn't even know that I was um, considering adoption just came out and said to me, you would be a great foster mom. Have you looked into that? And I was like, oh, okay. So I ended up looking into it, and um, and it didn't cost me nothing. <laughs> so, um, so here I am, a year and a half, a year, a little bit over a year in as being a foster mom. And yes, I enjoy it. Thank you for doing your own introduction because I didn't do that. My <laughs> apology. Marshanique is a foster parent. Yes. If you didn't pick up on that, I should do better introductions. Um, thanks, Marshanika. What about just your experience? What's been like the most difficult, what the most beautiful parts of the process for you? Um, <clears throat> the most beautiful part 
um, is knowing I'm fulfilling God's purpose for my life and being able and theirs and being able to help beautiful and wonderful kiddos through um, throughout their turmoils and uh, traumas, helping them realize they don't have to do um, to have to do nothing like be nothing like what they've been through um, and help just build their confidence. So and the most difficult part are the all the unknowns, not knowing what happened to them. You know, we just get a lot of surface level information when they come to us, um, which can be which can make it difficult and make it difficult, not always knowing how to help, how to respond, how to show love and so much more. So it's the unknown. It makes it really difficult to how to really help them. Thanks, friend. You're welcome. Uh, I'm going to do an introduction to the next person, Donna. Donna Harper is an adoptive parent, her and her husband, Harold. Uh, Donna, same question. What kind of led you to adoption, your family? Well, it was just, quite honestly, an invitation from the Lord at a very unexpected time. Um, my husband and I were both in our mid-40s. We had um, two children, a rising senior and a rising eighth grader, so we could see the empty nest, you know? And we were fine. We thought we were just fine. And during that time, it was about 13 years ago, so I'm a lot older now, but um, uh, we went to, I went to a women's conference at my church where Mary Beth Chapman was the keynote speaker, and she is the wife of recording artist Stephen Curtis Chapman, and they have um, three adopted children from China. They have an adoption ministry, and at the time, they also had a medical mission type organization in China helping children who needed um, care. And so re it's really difficult to explain, but she started talking about the waiting children of China. And I knew undeniably that God was speaking to me like he really never had before. And she talked about these children who uh, their paperwork was done, they were ready for a family, but they were waiting and they continued to wait. And oftentimes for a very minor correctable medical need that in another country or with advocacy or with a family they could receive. And most often it was boys because surprisingly 98% of people who adopt from China adopt a girl. So you have boys waiting. Um, and so I was overwhelmed, very emotional, got home, self-assured that my husband was going to shut it down and tell me that I just got emotional about this little talk that happened. And if any of you know Harold, <laughs> what he said to me was, uh, if that's what the Lord spoke to your heart, we need to listen and we need to obey. And I absolutely freaked out because we're 45, you know, and um, so I would love to tell you that I immediately jumped on board and answered God's call for my life, but I didn't. I got scared, and I ran, and he pursued me like he's never pursued me before, and he would not let it go, and ultimately, it came around to we recognized this was an authentic call of God on our life. We surrendered to it, and we're so thankful that we did, and we now live by the mantra that old parents are better than no parents. So, <laughs> put that on a shirt. There it is. Put that on a shirt. Um, the other questions yeah, as well? Yeah. I think the most beautiful part of our story is we had a team of people praying for us when we went to China for 17 days. Our agency did not want us to take our two older children with us. We said, we're taking our children with us. This is a family decision, this is a family call. We all went. 
Um, and we ask people to pray specifically that God would unite our hearts together, especially with international adoption. Children are losing their everything familiar, their food, their culture, their language, everything. And so we knew that those first days were very challenging for children. And so we asked them to pray that God would unite us as a family and just bind our hearts together. And from the moment we arrived in country, it was very evident that God was answering that call. Josiah was two and a half, and he was a boy ready for a family. He, he went out the door and never looked back. It was unheard of. We were just amazed. But beyond that, I think the fact that we got to share the gospel with Josiah, we got to teach him about Jesus from a very early age, something that had he remained in China, he probably would have never heard. And at the age of 10, he received Christ, and he was baptized by his dad on Easter Sunday. And that's probably the most beautiful part of our story. He's not only our son, but he's a child of the king. Yeah. Thanks, Donna. And I guess the most difficult part of our journey, and I did ask Josiah's permission before I shared this, but our most difficult part has been Josiah's medical journey. We knew before we adopted Josiah that he had been diagnosed with bilateral cleft lip and palate. He had had two surgeries in China. Um, but we do, we had a few in our future and some therapies and that sort of thing. We are absolutely, we had met with medical professionals. We were prepared for that. Um, what we weren't prepared for is when we got home, about three months after we were home, a tumor was discovered in his right ear, um, which required immediate emergency surgery. Uh, he lost most of the hearing in that ear. It was, the doctor said, the largest cholesteatoma he had ever seen in a two-year-old, and that had he not come from, gotten here from China, that it would have taken his life. Uh, because it's the kind of thing that they just don't screen orphans for. They don't spend the money to screen orphans for. That's the second time Josiah's life was saved. I could talk about this all day, and I won't. Yeah. If you want to know more, just invite me, me to lunch. Invite yeah, yeah, me yeah. to lunch, and I'll tell you. Thanks, Donna. But anyway, it was just, um, he's had 20 surgeries, and um, he, we still have more in the future, and that's hard emotionally for him and spiritually for him and so we walk with him in that but he's an absolute warrior and it's a great privilege to walk with him in the good times and the hard times I think Donna made a good point that any of us longs anybody I'm sure um, the Clar six would be happy for you to take them out to lunch and hear their story and what how God's work through them is for sure um, we can wear shirts, and you can just offer up lunches. That would be great. <laughs> um, Isaac, Isaac is a um, Isaac's family um, fostered and adopted, and so this is a different perspective. Isaac, kind of, what was you, you know, what is your role, and, and how has it impacted your life being a adoptive sibling? Sorry, wait, we say it. <laughs> well, um, initially, I was very hesitant um, to have anything really to do with Ivy. Um, just because, I don't know, it was just a lot of things were happening, and I felt like uh, another child in the mix was just not what I needed in that moment. But um, it got to, by the time in the spring or in the late winter of last year, when the opportunity came for us to discuss whether we did want to adopt her, I said to my parents something along the lines of, I don't think we could in good conscience say no at this point. Like, it would not have been right for us to, it would not have been the right thing to do to just throw up our hands and say, this is too hard. I mean, it is hard. It's, it's a lot of stuff to do with, I mean, a two-year-old, kind of similar to any child. She, it's not all 
sunshine and rainbows. She throws tantrums and runs around, and we can't catch her. But I, I mean, it's rewarding, too. She's very fun to hang out with, but it's, it's a lot of change, and I think it's been a trial for us, but I think it has been something where we have all been able to grow and watch her grow, and that's something that's really cool to do. And, yeah, I don't think that I will regret it. Nobody recorded that. I th oh, well, my, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say you guys are raising good teens because that's such great words to say, I mean, for your kiddo. And to Thanks, Isaac. Uh, Kristen Welch is my kid. Um, and, she, yeah, she, well, she can... <laughs> she can tell you that. Go ahead. Um, I went into foster care when I was six and my brother was two. Being that young and having no clue what was going on was very stressful and showed through my actions, making it hard to stay in one home for very long. I was in and out of 13 placements within three years. I kept pushing away foster parents and causing problems to show that they would just be like every other foster family or maybe I would go back to my biological mother. Our placement felt like it would be the last. Our foster mom wanted to adopt us. I had good grades. I was making good choices and trusting that I was safe and would stay. At this point, I had nothing to lose. She made me lose trust in mom figures, and my behaviors were worse than they had ever been, trying even harder to be given up on because everyone had. We moved with this family from Georgia to California, which felt permanent, but I still held on to <laughs> I still held on to the behaviors, waiting to be abandoned, but they did not. Those parents were my 13th placement. They adopted me. <laughs> um, being, <laughs> being in foster care was scary and impacted me in more ways than I will ever know. But the foster parents who loved me no matter what made the difference. All that to say that foster care and being a foster parent is going to be hard. If I had any suggestions to potential foster parents, it would be that if you're not ready to handle handle behavior problems, this is probably not the right choice to make. It was very hard on me and it'll also be very hard on you. Have fun. <laughs> <coughs> she uses humor when she's uncomfortable, if you haven't picked up on that. So does her mother. Thanks, honey. Uh, and Cassie Allen is um, one of our ministry volunteers. I wanted her to kind of talk through her experience and how it's impacted her being a part of the ministry. Um, so I have uh, taken some meals to some foster families, but primarily what I do is help uh, meet foster families at the foster closet. Uh, when they get a placement, um, they text Lauren. Lauren texts a group of us, um, so it's not always me every time. Uh, it doesn't take a lot of time, but uh, it's such, it's so impactful to know that when you meet a foster parent at the closet and they're picking out clothes for this placement they just got, that this this child is going to be going to school tomorrow with clothes, and they have choices, and um, it's just a really great thing to be a part of. Um, I'm actually, I'm also very thankful that it's something I can bring my kids to. I think that it's really important for them to know uh, firsthand that there are uh, kids who are not as blessed as they are, um, trying to raise children to not be entitled. Um, and, and so when we're driving to the foster closet, we talk like there's a, we're meeting a mom there. Uh, my oldest, uh, my oldest daughter is actually, uh, very helpful. She loves to help. We pull down the bins, uh, the foster mom will get there and say, I've got a, a girl in size 3T. So we pull down the 3T bin and we help them look through it. 
Um, she loves putting outfits together. So if you are someone that has donated clothes to this closet, we're so thankful. I wish you could see the parents. Um, I met a mom a couple weeks ago, and she had a boy dropped off uh, with a toothbrush. That was it. That was all he had. And so I met her that morning, and we were able to get him a bag, a duffel bag. And, um, you know, we found um, like six pairs of pants and a whole bunch of sweatshirts and T-shirts, and he got to pick them out. It wasn't just stuff that he was given that he didn't have a choice. We laid everything out. We said, you can have anything on this table. And he, he picked up a shirt. He picked up two shirts and a pair of pants, and said, he turned to me and said, thank you. I was like, oh, no, buddy. No, no, we need, we need a lot more. And we just loaded him up. Uh, we, we got him a coat. Uh, he picked out a Nerf gun. He was actually very excited about the Nerf gun. Um, <laughs> I don't know if the foster mom was excited about that. But um, it just uh, being able to see firsthand, I mean, meeting the people that you're serving. We don't always get that opportunity when we're just donating money. But um, the foster closet has just been a great uh, way to minister to people and to be able to serve them without really giving that much time. Um, they're not usually there real long, um, but it's just, uh, it has just been a great thing to be a part of. So again, if you have donated or helped with that in any way, we just, we just want to thank you. I wish you could see these parents. Uh, one of the first ladies I ever met uh, said, well, how much do we owe you? And I said, well, nothing. This is just a ministry that we do. And she started crying. <laughs> I cried with her. <laughs> I'm a sympathetic crier, but it just, um, it's just very impactful. And I don't think we'll ever know the reach this is going to have for the kingdom of God with these kids having clothes, just something as simple as clothes that we all take for granted. Thanks, Cassie. Cassie didn't include that. She, we also do project or um, Parents Night Outs, uh, and she's our game lead. She's ridiculous. Like, I, I have been selecting dates around Cassie's uh, availability. <laughs> That's how ridiculous. So she, she can't do anything else. That's her role. Um, I just say the foster care closet, we've served about 30 families so far, about 75 kids. So it's pretty incredible. Um, like I said, it's as easy as, like you said, stopping by. And um, Well, thank you to everybody. Yeah, um, thank you for being here. Thank you for what you're doing. <laughs> love you guys. I love you too. Aren't you glad we get to be a part of something like this? Uh, you know, five years ago, we decided that we were going to do what we could one Sunday a year, especially to make an impact in this area. And it's been incredibly fruitful, as you've seen. And we're thankful that God has led us to, to take those steps. Uh, I want to introduce our speaker for this morning. Um, we're going to have a, a shorter time in the Word than normal. Uh, we've already been stirred by just these stories and testimonies. But our uh, speaker this morning is Brian O'Day. Uh, there's few people that I love as much as Brian. He's been uh, a co-conspirator in so much of the work that we do through Pillar Church. Let me tell you four things about him. I told him to come on up, and I wanted him up here while he said it. The first one is uh, Brian was a member of this church. He was a member who was a Marine who came on Sundays, and God used uh, his time here to solidify his call to ministry. But we got to be members together in this church uh, a long time ago before either of us had gray hair. And um, it, it's amazing. So he's a member of the church. He's a pastor at Pillar Church of Jacksonville and a church planter sent out from this congregation. So not only uh, does he pastor at Pillar Church of Jacksonville, but he was sent from here to plant a church. We pray for pl church planters all the time uh, here. He's one of our sent out uh, planters that has had a huge impact 
for the gospel. Uh, he's also the executive director now of the Praetorian Project. We pray all the time for our churches in that project. He provides primary leadership day to day, um, and and it's just it's amazing to be able to collaborate with him and see what he's done to help our twelve uh, Praetorian Project churches flourish in military communities. And so it's a privilege for us to have him here today. We're really excited. But the fourth thing is he's uh, an adoptive and fostering parent. And, uh, and so uh, he's got a lot to, to share with us about that um, and most of all to share from God's word. And so would you uh, show him your welcome this morning as he prepares to, to lead us in God's word? I'm going to pray for you, Brian. God, thank you so much for Brian and for Kelly, that they could be with us today on this special Sunday. Lord, we pray now as he leads us through your word that you would just fill him with your spirit and, Lord, empower him as he speaks your words, as he opens them to us and helps us see your heart. Lord, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we have a phrase in our family that we say often to one another, sorry, not sorry, sorry, not sorry. Uh, we use this whenever um, we're forcing another family member to wrestle with something difficult, and we'll say, sorry, not sorry. Uh, I feel like I've stepped into a moment where we've been forcing you to wrestle with something very difficult already for a fair amount of time with the video and the panel, and, uh, and then the short time Colby promises that I will have with us this morning. Um, and so it's tempting for me to be like, hey guys, we've, we've emotionally had enough, but uh, sorry, not sorry. Um, we need to continue to wrestle with this difficult thing. My question for us this morning is this, will you embrace God's plan for your beautiful adoption story? Will you embrace God's plan for your beautiful adoption story? I don't know about you, but through the years I've had many plans for my life, many plans for my life. Uh, it, it was interesting, Colby said he was going to, he had four things he wanted you guys to know about me. I was like, wow, I'm really curious the four things that Colby's going to share about me. Uh, and it's interesting that each of the four things that Colby share about, shared about me, zero of those were on my list when I was 20 years old. Zero of them. I had a lot of plans for my life. I'm sure you have a lot of plans for the rest of your life. The question is, will you lay down whatever plans you have for your life and embrace what God has for you? So there's really two options for how the rest of your life is going to look. One of them is that you plan out your life. And the other one is you allow God to plan out your life. That's it. Those, that's the choice that's before you. You plan out the rest of your life or you allow God to plan out the rest of your life. And this morning we're talking about something very specific and that is your adoption story, your participation in the stories of foster care and adoption. Right? Are, you, are you just going to watch TV, watch the panelists, or are you going to join into the story? 
If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Esther, the book of Esther. Uh, I encourage you, if you don't know where Esther is in your Bible, every Bible I've ever picked up has a table of contents in there. Uh, and so just look at the table of contents, look at the page numbers, just like you would for any other book. The book of Esther. The book of Esther is a beautiful story. It's a beautiful story. If you haven't read it recently or if you've never read it, I highly encourage you to read the story of Esther, the whole book. You could sit down and read it in one sitting uh, without too much trouble, even if you're not a big reader. Uh, it is a fascinating story. The story of Esther is about the hidden hand of God preserving the Jews from utter destruction. Okay? Uh, God is not mentioned at all in the story. Uh, he is instead the hidden hand throughout the entire story that is guiding everything that happens. And the author very intentionally does not include God to kind of force you as the reader to be like, how in the world is all this stuff happening? And the answer, of course, is that the one true God of the Bible has caused all these things to happen. It is a beautiful, amazing story of the hidden hand of God preserving Jews from utter destruction. What I would like to do this morning, though, is to look at a subplot within that story. A subplot. I want to examine the beautiful adoption story that is at play throughout this bigger story. We're going to pick up the story in chapter 2. King Ahasuerus has removed his queen, Queen Vashti, from being queen because she would not submit to his every whim. And where we're going to pick up the story, King Ahasuerus, after removing Queen Vashti, um, some time has passed and he decides he wants another queen. And so he's going to go find him another queen, really by force and by his own decision. That's where we pick up the story. And we're going to meet two characters. We're going to meet Mordecai, who is an adoptive father in the story. And we're going to meet Esther, who is an adoptive daughter in the story. As I read, I want you to pay attention to the relationship these two have with one another. And we're just going to read a portion of the story. We're just going to read Esther chapter 2. And uh, I just want you to see some of the relationship. And then this afternoon and this week, as you read the story yourself, just notice their relationship. Pick it up with me in Esther chapter 2, starting in verse 5. Esther 2, verse 5. Now there was a Jew in Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, son of Shimei, son of Kish, a Benjaminite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives, carried away with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away. He was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. And when her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So when the king's order and his edict were proclaimed, and when many young women were gathered in Susa the citadel in custody of Haggai, Esther was also taken into the king's palace and put in custody of Haggai, who had charge of the women. And the young woman pleased him and won his favor. 
And he quickly provided her with her cosmetics and her portion of food. And with seven chosen young women from the king's palace, and advanced her and her young women to the best place in the harem. Esther had not made known her people or her kindred, for Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. And every day Mordecai walked in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and what was happening to her. And when the turn came for each young woman to go in to King Ahasuerus after being 12 months under the regulations for the women, since this was the regular period of their beautifying, six months with oil of myrrh and six months with spices and ointments for women, when the young woman went in to the king in this way, she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening she would go in, and in the evening she would return to the second harem, in custody of Sheagagaz, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the concubines. She would not go in to the king again unless the king delighted in her, and she was summoned by name. When the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his own daughter, to go, to the, go into the king, she asked for nothing except what Haggai, the king's eunuch, had, who had charge of the women, advised. Now Esther was winning favor in the eyes of all who saw her. And when Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus into his royal palace in the tenth month, which was the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign, the king loved Esther more than all the women. And she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king gave a great feast for all his officials and servants. It was Esther's feast. He also granted a remission of taxes to the provinces and gave gifts with royal generosity. Now when the virgins were gathered together the second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gates. Esther had not made known her kindred or her people, as Mordecai had commanded her. For Esther obeyed Mordecai just as when she was brought up by him. In those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gates, Bigthan and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the thresholds, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And this came to the knowledge of Mordecai, and he told it to Queen Esther. And Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai. When the affair was investigated and found to be so, the men were both hanged on the gallows, and it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. Let us pray together. Lord, this is a beautiful story of your preservation and redemption. It is a beautiful story of adoption. We thank you for giving it to us in your holy word. Please show us what we must do in response to this story. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So again, the question before you this morning is, will you fully embrace God's plan for your beautiful adoption story. 
It's a big question for each one here this morning, and I want to examine the question from three perspectives, three perspectives. We're going to approach each of these perspectives by asking a question. The first question is, will you embrace a child who is not your own? Will you embrace a child who is not your own? When we meet Mordecai, the story is well underway. We do not meet him until chapter 2 and verse 5. And when we meet Mordecai, we learn that his aunt and uncle have died and they have left his cousin Esther as an orphan. And just as soon as we learn all of that information, we learn that Mordecai in chapter 2 and verse 7 has taken his orphan cousin Esther in to raise her, the text says it multiple times throughout, as his own daughter. As we see the story unfold here in chapter 2, we see that Mordecai is not merely providing Esther food and shelter. He's not merely providing her a place to stay. He's not merely acting as her taxi driver to and from school and soccer practice and whatever else she has going on. That's not all that Mordecai is doing. No, Mordecai loves Esther. He is truly raising her as his own daughter. There is a deep relationship between these two. I really wish we could just spend time reading the whole book together and just see that relationship grow. Chapter 4, it grows again. It continues to grow throughout the story. It is powerful. Mordecai genuinely loves Esther. He guides her and protects her as much as any earthly father can. He certainly cannot. He's not able to protect her from all of the evil that Esther is having to endure. However, he is actively engaged in every single step of her life, even some of the most horrific things that we could imagine happening to a young woman. Mordecai is continuing to stay invested in her life every step of the way. He will not let her go. Mordecai Mordecai brought her into his life as his daughter, and he will not let her go throughout the horrific turmoil of her life by herself. This is frankly a beautiful picture of a father-daughter relationship. It is, it's beautiful. It's fascinating, I might ask, I might add. Frankly, I cannot think of a stronger father-daughter relationship in the entire Bible. I can't think of one. I can't think of a better picture. Like if I'm thinking of my role as a father to my three daughters, I can't think of a better picture of a father-daughter relationship than Mordecai and Esther. And again, he's an adoptive father to an adopted daughter in a horrific, difficult situation. It's a beautiful picture. Friends, we have a problem. We have a problem. We just heard it in our panel, but I'll just review some of the things. Um, There are many studies on how many orphans there are in the world, and they differ greatly. It's safe to say that there is at least north of 100 million children who are orphaned worldwide. 100 million. They're not all over there. Uh, the stat that was at the beginning of the video was that there were about, there's about 680,000 children in foster care in the U.S. on any given day. 
over 600,000. Approximately one-third of the children who are orphaned worldwide are eligible to be adopted. They're able to be adopted. Okay? They're waiting. One of our panelists talked about the waiting and the being passed from family to family. As you're attempting to picture all of these children, you might be tempted, maybe in your mind, when you think of adoption, you're thinking of babies. So let me just help you as you're picturing these children, the vast majority of them, maybe, maybe over 90% of them, but at least the vast majority of them are over five years old, over five years old. It typically takes three years for a child who is able to be adopted to be adopted. Three years. Now, I'm 42 years old, so three years doesn't feel like that much to me, right? Okay, three years ago, I was 39. Three years from now, I'll be 45. That doesn't really mean much. If you're way younger than me, you just think I'm old in any of those categories. If you're way older than me, you just think I'm young in any of those categories, right? But just think for a moment about a child from age five to age eight. That's a lot of their life. What about from age 7 to age 10? That's a lot of their life. My oldest daughter was in foster care officially from age 12 to age 17. A lot of life happens from age 12 to age 17. Three years for a child who is ready to be adopted to be adopted. That means that there are children in Dumfries, Virginia... Woodbridge, Stafford, all around this area, waiting for someone to adopt them. They are waiting. There are not adoptive parents sitting around waiting to adopt here in this area. The children are waiting for parents. And I imagine these children, I don't even have to imagine because I've heard them tell me, they're asking their social worker, why won't anyone adopt me? Why? And maybe in the quiet of their own minds, they reach out to a God they may or may not know, and they ask God, God, why won't anyone adopt me? These people have told me that I'm able to be adopted. Why, why will none of these smiling, happy people I see around me adopt me? I want you to look at chapter 2, verse 7 of our story. Verse 7, he, Mordecai, was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, the daughter of his uncle. Why? Why did he do this? For, because she had neither father nor mother. Why did Mordecai adopt Esther? Because she had no father or mother. That's the reason. You might, have, you might be wrestling through a question. Why, why would I enter into this ministry? Because it's needed. This ministry matters because people matter. If, if you have come to the realization that every human being is an image bearer of Almighty God, the reason that we need to bring them into our families is because they don't have families. A child who is in foster care, a child who is ready to be adopted, a child who is ready to be adopted in foster care in this area, their legal parents 
their legal parents is the state government of Virginia. That's their legal parents. So we as a church must step in and say, that's not okay. It's not okay. We don't think the government is a great parent. And so we're going to step into that fray. So the question is, will you fully embrace a child who is not your own? Why? Because they don't have a mom and dad. For those who are currently in the throes of being foster and adoptive parents, and I know there's several in here, I want you to make sure you hear the word fully as I ask the question. Will you fully embrace them as your own? Will you fully embrace them as your own? It's so tempting when they're processing through all the big emotions that Kristen just talked about. As they're processing through all those big emotions, it's so tempting to be like, all right, you need to be over here and I'm going to focus in on the rest of my family. No, no, no. Will you fully embrace them as your own children? And fully bring them in to your family. Give your family as a gift to them. For all of us, will you fully embrace a child who is not your own? That's one perspective. I want to look for a moment at a second perspective. Will you fully embrace parents who are not your own? Will you fully embrace parents who are not your own. You see, not only did Mordecai have a choice, Esther also had a choice. Esther also had a choice. For the story to unfold as it does, Esther had to fully embrace Mordecai as her new father. Notice chapter 2, verse 10. Chapter 2, verse 10. Esther had not made known her people or her kindred that she was a Jew, for Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. Praise God, a daughter who listened to her father. Man, praise God from whom all blessings flow. She embraced her adoptive father. She embraced him. For, for some of my kids, some it's not quite as clear, but for some of my kids, I can tell you the moment in time that they actually embrace me as their father. They had a decision to make. A, in almost every one of those situations, the ink was dry on the adoption. It was a done deal. I was legally their father. But I can tell you the moment that they said, that's my father. So again, I, I know that we have some kids here who are in care or you have been adopted. And you might be just kind of wrestling through the question of, do these people actually love me? You might be wrestling through the question, is it even possible for this like thrown together family to really be a family? Is it possible that people who are not my biological parents, that I could actually embrace them as parents? I, I want you to know that this is the business that the Lord is in the business of. This is what he does all the time, is he takes things that are a broken mess and he brings them together and makes them beautiful. And so my question for you is, will you embrace, fully embrace, parents who are not your own? Will you fully embrace parents who are not your own? Will you 
love them and submit to their guidance and protection in your life? Will you see them as a good gift from a very good God? Will you see that? There's one more perspective I want to consider this morning with one more question. Will you fully embrace God as your forever father? Will you fully embrace God as your forever father? We've been rightly spending most of our time this morning thinking about this important need of embracing foster care and adoption, but we would be neglectful if we did not consider an even bigger question. You see, I'm actually not a huge fan of the language that calls my family a forever family, right? As far as my earthly family or me a forever father for my adopted children. I don't love that language. I'm not 100% sure how true it is. Because it seems like in any tangible way, the truth is that I will be father to each one of my children, similar to how I'm uh, husband and wife with my wife as long as we both shall live, right? In any tangible way. My goal in this time that we're together, as long as we both shall live, is actually to point them to a, the only truly forever father that they will have. It's my primary goal in raising them is to say, okay, if, any, if you see anything good in me, let that draw you to the Heavenly Father. If you see anything not good in me, you might need to change your definition of good. That's part of the process. But also, if you see something that's not good in me, and it really is not good, I want you to know there's a Father that's better than me. I want you to know there's a Father better than me. And He can be your forever Father. God has made a way for every single person in here to enter into His forever family. And that forever is a big word, that's why I hesitate to use it as my earthly fatherhood to my children. Forever's a big word. But God has made a way for you to enter into His forever family. God the Father sent His Son, Jesus, to this earth to bring all of God's children into His forever family. And if that sounds good to you, you can call out to God the Father today and you can be saved. You can call out to God the Father today and He will save you. You say, I want that. I want to be a part of a forever family. My family's been a mess and I want to be a part of a forever family where there's a good Father leading that family. Will you allow God to love you and protect you and guide you as you lovingly submit to His good instructions. You see, to fully embrace God the Father as Father, you have to lovingly submit to His way of life. Will you fully embrace God as your forever Father? And that ties into our topic today. Again, we started, are you going to decide what the rest of your life looks like? Or are you going to allow your forever, forever father to decide what the rest of your life looks like? Will you fully embrace God's plan for your beautiful adoption story? I do have one last spoiler alert. If you go down the path of foster care and adoption, and you could hear it in our panelists, if you go down this path, it is going to be a very difficult path. 
very difficult. If you answer yes to any of my three questions this morning, or really four questions if we take the overarching one, if you answer yes to any of those, it's going to be a difficult path. When I started each adoption journey, so we have five kids, three different adoption journeys for each one of those kids, big, giant, beautiful adoption story that I'm not sure if we're done yet or not, uh, but we're, as we've gone down each one of those, several people raised accusatory questions as to our sanity and our motives. Every single one of those journeys. The first one, when we adopted three toddlers, went from zero kids to three toddlers all at once. Y'all know what you're doing? You're young, you don't know what you're doing. It's obvious you don't know what you're doing, so let me tell you. We adopted a teenager, and we already had kids. We got less by the, by the last one. We got less, less people questioning those things, at least to us. Maybe they just thought we were crazy. They had already made their decision. Each of my children has had to wrestle through whether or not they will truly embrace me as their father. Something, that really, quiet, something really quiet that happens as adopted children interact with their worlds is they have to field the questions of other kids who are trying to figure life out. And when those other kids figure out that they're adopted, they have a bunch of questions, unfiltered, unvetted questions. And so my adopted children have had to wrestle through their own big feelings about all of this with other children who just are asking kid questions. So it's going to be difficult, and you're going to have to work with them through those things. It's going to be difficult. And again, embracing the Lord as your father, that's going to be difficult. When I became a Christian as a 20-year-old, I essentially lost all my friends, and God let me know that he had a drastically different plan for my life than I had. And it was really hard to let go of the plans I had for my life. Still is hard. So every single step of this, I, I use the word beautiful because it is, but I don't want to leave you thinking that beautiful equals easy because it does not. It is a difficult journey that I'm inviting you into. But it is a beautiful one. It is far, far, far more beautiful than whatever it is that you're trying to come up with for your life. Far more beautiful than anything you could come up with. So the question is for each one of you, will you fully embrace God's plan for your beautiful adoption story? I love you guys so much. Let's pray. Lord, you are the perfect forever Father, Lord, we need you to embrace us as your children, and we need to embrace you fully as our Father. Lord, I ask that you would help each person here to be available to whatever part you would have them play. Show them the small part 
you would have them play in this story. Guide us in this time, guide us in this day, show us your will. It is in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. You to serve. But you know, anytime I'm a part of a service like the one we were a part of today, um, it, it creates a bit of this tension, right? Like, what do I do with this? What do you expect me to do with this? And I, I, want, I want you to know, like, there's some things you don't eat all in one bite. Like, it, there are some experiences that you don't take on all in one big step. And, and, and for some of us, we're in different parts of this journey. And I just want to recommend four things you can do as you leave today. Before I close this in prayer, you can, take, you can decide to take one of these steps. And we have a table in the back to help facilitate this step for you. Number one is you can get informed. This might have scratched the surface for you. You might think, I need to think more about this. We have a book back there um, that will help you learn. It's called Everyone Can Do Something by Jason Johnson. It's, it's a book that can help you think about the challenge of foster care and adoption in our, in our culture, in our society, and what God has to say about it. Amazing book. And maybe the step for you today isn't to do anything else except for just take that book. They're free to you. We've got 40 plus copies back there. You take that, and if you're willing just to read that, you'll be more informed, able to support others, ready to think about this in a deeper way. Really easy first step. A second thing you can do is get involved. You heard Cassie's testimony about how as a member just stepping into the ministry, being involved in the um, Parents' Night Out and the, the closet has just had such an impact on her life. And I know she kept saying, I wish you could see their faces. You remember how many times she said that? Well, good news, you can see their faces. Like these are real people that live in our community that we care about where you can interact and be a part of helping us fulfill that ministry. So she thought she was hiding it from you. You get to be a part of it. You can stop by the table. You can take steps to be involved in our Parents' Night Out and in that ministry, and we'd love for you to do that. Twice a year we do Parents' Night Out. We need gift cards. That's the way you can be involved. You can sign up to be a part of those uh, events, and you can get involved in the, in the clothing closet. And so there's a QR code, but there's also lots of information at the back. Number three, uh, we did this as a family a couple years ago. You can get prepared. Uh, our uh, county offers a foster care uh, intro night as well as a foster care class. You don't have to actually commit to doing anything other than getting informed, getting prepared to where you could say yes. And for some of you today, you've been thinking a long time, maybe the step for you is to take that foster parenting class, become more informed both as a supporter and positioned to where when God puts the opportunity in your life, you can say yes. We want to help you do that, and so there's opportunities to do that. And then last is get invested. Uh, maybe you're burdened for foster care and adopting families, but at capacity in your life. There's two things that you can do. You can pray. That invests you in the work in a way that will help you care along with this congregation about this. So when you hear these celebrations, they're your celebrations. You can get invested through prayer. We have a prayer guide on the table in the back that we'd love for you to hang up on your fridge and, and just pray through uh, families that uh, have adopted and fostered and some of the other people that support that, uh, as well as get involved financially. We have a foster care and adoption fund here at Pillar Church so that we can say yes to adoptive families when, when they need support, so that we can do some of the things that, that it takes to make a tangible impact in people's lives. And so that's four basic ways that you could respond today uh, to this as you leave. And so I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet and I'm going to lead us in prayer as we close. And with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, before I just say a benediction, maybe you need to just think, what, what's your step? What do you need to do today as we depart? Do you need to get informed? Maybe take some time to read the book that we've provided. Do you need to take a step to get involved? Maybe you need to get prepared. You're ready to 
prepare the way for God to put the right moment together in your life to connect you with a child. Maybe just know that you're in a time where you can get invested, you can pray, you can give, and you need to take a step to do that. But what is it for you? God, we, we pray as we depart that as you've gathered us here to worship, to rejoice, to share the burden of your heart, Lord, that you would also empower us with courage to respond and to obey as you spread us into the world and send us as your people to do what would honor you and reflect your image. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys. Have a great week. Thanks for being here today.